But we're about to get into the Word of God, and we want people to be able to concentrate. And so we appreciate uh, all of you being here today, and we're excited about what God is doing and uh, what, he's, what He's really setting us up for. How many of you ever felt like you were in a divine setup? Did you? All right. I feel we are. We're going to continue today in, in the series, and I'm going to finish the Steady Eddie series today. And before we uh, get into the Word, I'm going to get you to turn to Luke 2, Luke chapter 2, and verse 49, and then we're going to Luke 4 and verse 42. And while you're getting ready to read, let's just worship the Lord with one more stanza. Steve leads us. Hallelujah. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. stand with me for the reading of the Word. And uh, Luke 2, 49, then I go to Luke chapter 4, verse 42. All right, now we've got, we're jumping into where Jesus has been missing. His parents have not been able to find him. He's 12 years old. I found out this week he was missing three days. I thought he was just missing a few hours. He was missing three days. Finally, they found him. They found him in the temple. And they were having some thoughts about thrashing him for this. And that's understandable. But I want you to look at what Jesus said to them in verse 49. Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must? Can you say with me, I must? Now I want you to catch that little phrase, I must. I must be about my father's business. I must. Jesus had an I must on his life. And if you're a child of God, so do you. Now let's look at uh, verse 42, chapter 4. Now here uh, he's been ministering and he goes into the uh, wilderness. And it says, when it was day, Jesus departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowd sought him. And came to him. And they tried to keep him from leaving them. They didn't want him to leave. But he said to them, what did he say everybody? I must. I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. Because 
For this purpose I have been sent. Another version says, this is why I was sent. Father, we thank you for your word today. Bless it to our hearts. And thank you, Lord God, for causing us to be a people of purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, perk up and listen. You're going to need this today. <clears throat> now, in these passages, and I love the Word of God, it just, it lives, it pulsates, it's alive. And in these passages, we see that Jesus was directed by what we might call an inner compass. Jesus was directed by an inner compass. Even when he was a child, he had this, I must, on his life. There's something I must do. Life is not random. I'm not just here by mistake. There is a divine, heavenly, I must, on my life. His inner compass kept him focused on God's kingdom and on the things that matter most. See, I believe every child of God should be a chip off the old block. And what block are we a part of? We're a a part of the cornerstone. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And so we ought to be chips off that block. Christian, little, little Christ a follower of Christ, our lives ought to resemble His. We ought to be like His. If we believe that He died for us and rose again from the dead, we ought to live and walk even as He walked, John said. And how did He walk? We had this inner compass, the Holy Ghost living inside of Him. Of course, He was God the Son, but the Holy Ghost had descended upon Him, and Jesus was moved and led by an inner compass. Every one of us, when we got saved, born again, redeemed, the Holy Ghost came and lived inside of us. And right now, He's living in every one of you who have called upon the name of the Lord. And that Holy Spirit living inside of you has given you a new birth. And we ought to be people who are compass-driven. Jesus' inner compass, the way we see Him moving throughout His life, This inner compass helped him cut through the trivial issues of life and helped him differentiate between the expedient, the expendable, and the truly important. He was able to say no to the things he ought to say no to so that he could say yes to the things he ought to say yes to. His inner compass empowered him to say no to the demands and the pressures put on him by people. And they'll pressure you, won't they? We pressure each other, don't we? We live in a world of need to, better, need to do, ought to do, should do, better do. And there's constant demands and constant pressures. But Jesus, if you'll follow him in the Gospels, he was led by this inner compass. He he never let people pressure him. He was led by a higher calling. He said no to the pressures of people so that he could say yes to God's will. This is the way Jesus lived. The key to where Jesus' inner compass came from 
is found in the last verse that we read. I want you to listen to it again. Jesus said, I must, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other places too, for that is why I was sent. See, Jesus had an I must because he understood his why. He who knows why will always lead he who only knows how. It is superior to know why you're doing something to just knowing how to do it. Jesus knew his why. He understood his purpose. He knew why God had sent him. And he said, I've got an I must. There's an I must on my life. There is something that God has his hand on me to do. And I'm going to do it. And so that's the, that's the drummer. That's the beat that I listen to. I'm here to do God's purpose for me. I'm here to fulfill his assignment. And when that assignment is over with, then I go to glory. Now, every one of you as children of God, you've got an assignment from God. Every one of you. Not just Pastor Jeff who's called to preach. When the Holy Ghost fell on the day of Pentecost, he fell on not just the apostles, but he fell on thousands of people. And flames of fire were sitting over their heads. And Jerusalem was soon turned upside down by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it didn't just happen through Peter, James, and John. It happened through the laity, through the people, through you. It happened through the common everyday folks who got turned on to Jesus Christ, touched by the Holy Ghost, and realized that they had a why. Can I tell you today, you are not an evolutionary mistake. You are not somebody who just happened to arrive because of some random evolutionary process. But you were formed in your mama's womb by the hand of God. God wired your chromosomal makeup, your DNA. God wired the way you were put together. He gave you your personality traits. He gave you the color of your eyes, the color of your hair, the way you look, the way you are, your IQ, your talents. He gave it to you. But what would you think of an automobile manufacturer that made a car and stuck it in the field and said, well, that's it, we're done. No, an automobile manufacturer makes a car for a purpose. And that purpose comes to life when somebody drives it off the lot and says, yes. God made you for a purpose. You've got a why. And therefore you have an I must on your life. Jesus understood better than any man that ever walked the planet why he was here. He had an I must because he knew his why. He was able to resist the pressures and demands, the distractions and the detours put on him by others because he answered to a higher call. He was listening to something that others didn't hear. Like a dog hears a dog whistle. Nobody else hears it, but the dog hears it. He'll run blocks. He'll run a mile to answer the call of that whistle. Though nobody else hears it, he hears it. Child of God, don't be surprised if people around you don't understand the call of God on your life. They never will unless they come to the same God you've come to. But there is a call on your life. The Holy Ghost is beckoning to you and to me. We have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. As dark, menacing Islam stretches its arms to wrap the world in them. God is calling believers to stand up 
and name the name of Christ and shine with the light and the truth of the gospel. It's time. Jesus described this inner compass best in John 4, 34. He said, my food is to do the will of him, the will of him, the purpose of him, the will of him, his assignment, the assignment of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He said, it's like food to me. Now, I'm going to tell you something that may sound a little bit strange to you, but when I stand up here and minister the word of God, it is like food to me. I, I feed off of it because this is what God has called me to do. But I learned a long time ago that I'm not supposed to do it all. I'm supposed, I'm, I am put up here by the Lord to convince you that you're called. To persuade you of the fact that God has laid his hand on you with a beautiful purpose in mind and it's time to be about our Father's business. It's time to have our ears to the track and be listening to the voice of the Holy Ghost. He's called you in your business, businessman. He's called you, ma'am. He's called you, sir. You're called to glorify him in this earth. You're not just saved for fire insurance so that if you were to die today, woof, you're saved and you're going to go to heaven and not hell. That's only a piece. That's only a part of it. As I study my Bible, I see a much wider, higher, deeper picture than that. He saved you with a divine purpose in mind. You've got an assignment for this life. It's an assignment. I heard a story recently about a group of tourists who went on a safari in Africa. They hired several native porters to carry their supplies for them. A few days into the journey, the porters announced they would have to stop and rest for a day. Well, the people looked at them and said, well, they don't seem exhausted. Why in the world do they need to stop and rest for a day? So they asked them, why do you need to stop and rest? And they said something profound, these people. We have walked too far, too fast, and now we must wait for our souls to catch up to us. Do you ever feel that way? I mean, we live in a techno-savvy world that is going at warp speed, running here, running there, doing this, doing that, putting aside for that 401k the day you retire and get that gold watch and go off wherever you think you're going to go. I'm telling you, I don't want to retire. I want to be preaching when I die. Or let me just, well, I don't want to scare everybody. I want, I, want to, I want to go be with the Lord right after I preached, where I'm off in some room alone. But I don't want to retire. The Bible doesn't show retirement. It does show, it does show change, but it doesn't show retirement. But I'm telling you, we live in a techno-savvy world that's going so fast. If you're not careful, you leave your soul behind. You're not feeding your soul. We've walked too far, too fast, and now we must wait for our souls to catch up to us. Listen to me. The soul is the part of us that longs for God. It tells us how spiritually hungry we are. It's also the part that reminds us of the truth. When you read about David, the psalmist, you read things like this. His soul was like his inner compass that told him the right way to go. He often had to stop and listen to the voice of his soul. Over and over again, we find his soul is thirsty. In another place, his soul is longing for God. In another place, his soul is crying out for salvation. In another place, for deliverance. In another place, for protection. 
His soul recognizes the truth about himself, that he is fearfully and wonderfully made. David was in tune to his soul, talked to his soul. Why are you cast down within me, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? What's the matter with you, soul? Hope thou in God, soul. For ye are going to yet praise him who is the health of your countenance and your God. He was so in tune with his soul, he talked to it, commanded it, rebuked it. Our soul talks to us because our souls as children of God have been touched by the Holy Ghost. So our souls are not dead, but they're alive. And being alive, they are speaking. Our souls have hunger. They have longing. The compass-driven person is the person who lives according to the inner longings and callings of his soul, that soul that has been touched by God. Sometimes you've got to put the brakes on, get off the road, go somewhere quiet and get with God and feed your soul. Your soul is talking to you. That's why you can make a million dollars and be miserable. That's why you can wake up with satin sheets all around you and be miserable because your soul has got to be satisfied and it's only satisfied by walking in fellowship with Christ. There are two kinds of people in this world. I want you to listen carefully. Compass-driven and clock-driven. There's compass-driven people and there's clock-driven people. Let me, let me tell you what I mean. Clock-driven people live under the tyranny of schedules, calendars, the demands of people, circumstances. Whatever circumstances throw at them, always handling circumstances. Jumping when every circumstance says jump. And the endless expectations of other people. People will wear you down and kill you if you let them. Clock-driven people have no inner compass because they've never understood why God put them here. It's a great day in your life when you understand your why, when you get a revelation of why God has you here. Because then you become a person of I must. And that is the only drummer I follow. Remember, Jesus had an I must because he knew why he had been sent. Now, on the other hand, compared to clock-driven people, compass-driven people are people of direction and purpose. That's the way you ought to be and I ought to be. People of direction and purpose. Compass-driven people possess a deep sense of destiny. Compass-driven people are aware the hand of God is on them for a reason. May not always understand the timing. May not always understand how God works that out. But you still know that it's there. Compass-driven people have been able to discern something of God's purpose for them. And they have dedicated themselves to that above all else. Compass-driven people are not motivated by survival, but rather by passion. To do what God has called them to do. Compass-driven people. It says of Jesus, the zeal for your house has consumed me. That's passion. Jeremiah said, I wanted to quit preaching. I got so tired of being persecuted, run down for what I was preaching in the name of Jehovah God. 
And I, when I decided to shut up and never do it again, your word became like a fire shut up in my bones and I could not keep it down. When God touches people, he touches their heart. He touches hearts. He sets your heart on fire. Your heart becomes like that bush that was burning, that Moses saw, that burned but was not consumed. And God spoke out of that burning bush. God speaks out of hearts on fire. Our God is a God of the heart. Are not my ministers a flaming fire, God says in the Psalms? Does not he make them like a flaming fire? The Holy Ghost has something for every one of you. I want to predict to you that in the days to come, the Holy Ghost is going to come upon us in a fresh and a new way. We're going to be relit, rekindled, refired. And we're going to rise up and do the exploits for God that we saw in our spirit years ago. But this, that, and the other seem to get in the way. It's time now. It's time now. Paul wrote, you know, I noticed anybody that followed Jesus became a compass-driven rather than a clock-driven person. Paul wrote, I press and I strain toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You can just see him straining and reaching for the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? It is to finish his assignment and receive your reward. It's that simple. Finish his assignment and receive your reward. That's the upward call of God. Now listen to what Paul said. He said, I press and strain toward the goal for the prize. Then he adds, as many of you as are mature in spiritual things, you should have this attitude also. And if you don't, God's going to show it to you. Wow. He says, if you don't have this attitude where the call of God and the assignment of God is everything to you, God's going to come knocking and show it to you. Maybe he's using me to knock a little bit today. Isn't it so easy to get distracted? Peter agreed about this, and Peter wrote that we should no longer live for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. That's the will of God. Now, for four weeks... This is the fifth week. For four weeks, we've been talking about the goal of being steady Eddie in the Christian walk. If you haven't been here for any of those, I'd grab those CDs. I'm finishing this up today. This is called Steady Eddie's Destiny. We've looked at the value of developing holy habits. Then the need to be disciplined in the things of God. The need to bring our wills and emotions under the control of the Holy Spirit. And why in the world have we been teaching all of this? All this thing about discipline, bring your will under his control, and bringing your emotions under the control of the Holy Ghost. Why all this talk about discipline, disciplining our lives, and becoming like athletes? Why? It's so that Steady Eddie can be free to live a compass-driven life, which is Steady Eddie's destiny. It's your destiny. Not clock-driven, compass-driven. I read, I read some passages this week that I've read a thousand times in my Christian walk, but for some reason this week, they leaped out at me with fresh life. And I want you to hear them now. Paul is talking about a race, the race that we're all in. Can you say with me, I'm in a race? Preach it to me a little bit better than that. I'm in a race. When you got saved, you got drafted. And when you got saved, you got placed on a racetrack. 
And you're in a race. Now listen to what Paul says about this race. In a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets first prize. Only one. So run your race to win. To win the contest, you must deny yourselves many things that keep you from doing your best. So I run straight to the goal, says Paul, with purpose in every single solitary step I take. I fight to win. I'm not just shadow boxing or playing around. I'm not playing church. I'm not religious. But like an athlete, I bring my body under control, training it to do what it should, not what it wants to. I do all of this for a heavenly reward that will never disappear. Isn't that beautiful? So we're in a race. Now I want to pluck three truths out of those passages, three characteristics of a compass-driven person. And let me just minister this to you briefly before we go today because, you know, when you wake up tomorrow, you're going to be in a race. You're in a battle and you're in a race. Three characteristics of compass-driven people. How many of you want to be compass-driven? Yeah, walking by the dictates of the Holy Ghost and not the flesh. The first thing I see about compass-driven people is they intend to win. They intend to win. Twice Paul said it. Run your race to win. And then he said, I fight to win. I'm in a battle to win and I'm in a race to win. He says, you need to run to win. Paul is saying, hey, don't get up and crucify your flesh and fight the devil and seek God and do all that you do. You don't get up and do that for no reason at all. There is a goal, and the goal is to win. There is a goal, and the goal is to finish our assignment and receive our reward. I told you about the guy I was out walking the other night a couple of weeks ago, had my little dog with me, and this man starts jogging towards me. He's a hefty guy. He's sweating profusely. He starts running towards me, and I'm going this way, and he's coming this way. And right when he got right about, oh, about 10 feet behind me, he yelled out, 40 pounds. I thought he was talking about me at first. I turned around and looked at him. He said, 40 pounds. And I said, 40 pounds. And then he said, I've lost 40 pounds in just a few months. I said, congratulations. How have you done it? He said, I run every day. I run every day. But I don't just run to run. Who likes just to run to sweat? I don't run to run. I don't run for no good reason. I'm running to win. I've got a goal in mind. I'm going to put off this weight. I'm going to shed these pounds. There's a reason that I'm running. I'm running to lose this weight. And he basically was saying to me what Paul was saying in a spiritual way. Paul said, you don't get up and you don't run this race just to run the race. You run it to win. You run to finish your assignment, to glorify God, to be the Christian God wants you to be, and to receive your reward someday. And no thief is going to break through and get your reward. He said, he said, you need to be laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust corrupts and where thieves do not break through and steal. I got to tell you something, folks. The bumper sticker that says, he who dies with the most toys wins is a lie. Yeah. 
I'll tell you who wins. He who dies, having been able to say, I finished my assignment. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness that the Lord of glory will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but to everybody who loves his appearing. There is a prize on the other side. The prize is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. There is a prize. So this guy was saying, I'm running to win. And his words haunted me for days afterwards because I thought the very same thing. That's exactly what God's called us to, to run to win. Compass-driven people intend to win. A well-known Olympic track star had just suffered his first ever defeat. After the race, he was sitting alone up in some bleachers. And his girlfriend tried to encourage him. And she said to him, She said, or rather he said to his girlfriend, he said, I'm frustrated. If I can't win, I won't run. Now she had a lot of wisdom and she turned to him quickly and said, if you don't run, you can't win. Now I'm going to tell you something, Christian friend. We're in a battle and we're in a race. And we might get discouraged and say, well, if I can't win all the time, then I'm going to quit trying. But God the Holy Ghost says, but if you don't run, you can't win. When you wake up tomorrow morning, you need to say, I'm running today. I'm going to crucify my flesh. I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to obey the Holy Ghost. I'm going to do what he has called me to do. I'm going to work on my assignment from heaven today. I'm going to be the Christian God wants me to be. And I intend to win. I'm in this thing to win. I'm not going to waste my time unless I'm in it to win. What about you? Am I talking to people today who want to win? really win. So say with me, finish my assignment and receive my reward. That's the bumper sticker. He who finishes his assignment and receives his reward wins. Now there's another thing about compass-driven people. Compass-driven people lay down all hindrances. Paul said you must deny yourselves many things that keep you from doing your best. Jesus said, he that picks, does not pick up his cross and follow me and deny himself cannot be my disciple. So sometimes, folks, we got to lay some things down. I want you to notice what Hebrews tells us. The writer of Hebrews, talking about this same race, says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So notice he says you got to lay down two things. The phrase lay down, it's like if I took this jacket off and just laid it down. It's just like that. You lay it down. What are we to lay down? Weights and sins. Well, what's the difference between a weight and a sin? Weights comes from a Greek word that means a hindrance, a bulk or mass, that which weighs you down and slows your progress. I can't help but picturing somebody walking along with a ball and chain on their foot. And that's what a weight is. He's not talking about sins. He's talking about weights. And here's this person with the ball and chain. And every time they want to move, they're dragging that weight, dragging that weight, dragging that weight. They can't walk at a fast clip because they got this weight. Man, I want to seek God, but I just, this weight is pulling me back. 
what is a weight? When Paul's ship was sinking on his way to testify for Caesar or before Caesar, Scripture says that they began to sink. They hit a storm and they began to sink. And the Bible says they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Started throwing things over. Why? To lighten the ship so it didn't sink. In this race that we're in, folks, sometimes the Holy Ghost will tap you on the shoulder and say, that's got to go. You got to cut that chain. You got to say goodbye. You got to walk away. But it's not a sin, Lord. No. It's not a sin, but it's not helpful either. You're never going to be all that you can be, and you're not going to get there as quickly as you would normally get there if you don't let this weight go. Give you an example of some weights, old friendships that slow us down. Every time you get around these people that you really like, you like being with them, but when you walk away, shackled by heavy burden, doesn't have to be a sin. Prejudices and attitudes from your former life, what about that? You're still copping an attitude. Got that chip on your shoulder, man. World's against you. Life's against you. You born under a bad sign, baby. And you're mad. You're mad at everybody that talks to you. I don't need to spend two minutes with you to figure out you're mad at life. God will one day come to you and say, that's got to go. Because as long as that's there, mm, Ties to this world that are drags on your progress. They're not sinful, but they're not helpful. And then he said, you also got to lay aside sins. Now, interestingly here, easily besetting sins. Not just any sins, easily besetting ones. Ever been with somebody outside at night, and all of a sudden you start hearing, and you say, what's the matter? These mosquitoes are eating me up alive. Aren't they bugging you? No, glory to God, I feel pretty good. They're not bothering me. Me and Kathy, when we go outside at night, they love her. And they don't touch me. He says, all that garlic I eat. I'm, I'm kidding. I don't know why, but they just love Kathy. They, they just gravitate to her. They attack her. And so I just say, glory to God. I'll pray for you, honey. I'm sorry. <laughs> I say, they go, they go for you because you're so sweet. And they avoid me because I'm so bitter. No. Um, but here's the idea. Easily besetting sins are the sins that just like you. You, as an individual, they like you. That's an easily besetting sin. They just like you. It's a personality thing. There are certain sins that just gravitate to you. You can be in a room with 10 people, but they, they come to you. That sin just gravitates towards you. It's an easily besetting sin, which means you're easily beset by that sin. He said, you're going to have to reach a point where you just learn to lay that down, lay down those weights, lay down those sins. And lighten the load so that you can run your race. That's what compass-driven people do. They don't let anything weigh them down. They don't let anything keep them from pursuing Jesus. Now, there's the last thing that compass-driven people do. They've got a single focus. Compass-driven people have a single focus. He says, keep your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of your faith. Paul the Apostle was the greatest Olympic champion in spiritual things in history. Here's what he said. 
with hands outstretched. Now, I just picture Paul. Just picture a huge net filled with $100 bills to the tune of millions of dollars, and it's hovering right in front of you. And it's yours. If you can just grab it, how would you reach? You'd jump and reach and do everything you could. That's the idea of Paul, the, the, the assignment, finishing it. He said, it's my dream, it's my goal, it is my life's aspiration to apprehend that for which also I was apprehended. By Christ Jesus, I want the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And he got it because he finished his life. I have fought the good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. What a note of victory to die on. He's reaching, and look what he says, with hands outstretched, I go straight for the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I'm reaching for the goal for which God has called me. It is the numero uno thing in my life. It's not the only thing, but it's the main thing. And I got to tell you, church, compass-driven people come to this. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. I think that is one of the most profound philosophical capsules I've ever heard. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Not the leftovers. Not the secondary. Not just on Sundays. Compass-driven people get up and they go before God and they say, Today I'm a Christian. I'm in a battle and I'm in a race. And I'm going to run this race to win and I'm going to fight this battle to win. I'm not just beating the air. I'm not in this for fun. Because I'm going to finish my assignment and I'm going to hear God say, well done. And I'm going to go to glory and get my reward. And any weight, any encumbrance, any sin, anything that gets in my way, I'm going to lay it down. It is garbage to me in light of winning Christ. Compass-driven people. Amen? They run to win. They keep the main thing. Is, is the Lord the main thing to your life today? Is He the main thing? Is He the main thing? The trick is to keep it the main thing every day, every year, until you die. Let's stand together, can we? Can you say with me, I intend to win, lay down all hindrances, and have a single focus. Y'all know that I love dogs, and I've got plenty of my own. Uh, I'm going to tell you, you're not going to believe this. We've got five now. Because my <laughs> people look at me like, you're crazy, man. Well, two of them aren't mine. My son moved back in for a brief season. He got a new car, and so he needed to have a little extra money. So he's there for a few months, and he brought two little chihuahuas with him. One of them is called Pudge, rightly named, because he's a Pudge. You never picked up a fatter chihuahua in your life. He's a Pudge. The other one I may keep, 
little, little doll, this little chihuahua. Now, I take my dog for a walk all the time. I noticed when I take Ollie, my dog, the terrier, when I take him someplace we've never been, he will not let me out of his sight. When I let him off the leash, if it's familiar territory, he runs way ahead of me, sniffs around, does what dogs do. But when it's a place we've never been, he goes about five steps ahead of me, keeps looking back to see if I'm still there. Keeping his eyes on Jeff, the author and finisher of his life. <laughs> and I thought, that's the way we're supposed to be. Single focused, keeping the main thing the main thing. God is good. And I want to pray for you and I want to believe God to bless you. I want to believe God to enrich your spiritual life. Would you let me bless you today? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these precious people. We're all in a fight and we're all in a race. Lord, we intend to win. And Lord, we intend to keep our eyes peeled on you with a single focus and to keep our walk with you the main thing. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for the grace of God that enables us to do it. Now, I speak a blessing over this people, that they would be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, blessed in the storehouse and blessed in the field, blessed in their going out and blessed in their coming in. Lord, I pray, bless them spiritually, bless them materially. Lord, may your hand rest upon them and help all of us to be steady, eddy in the spiritual things of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Let's sing before we go here today, Steve. Keep me true, Lord Jesus.